we see the goodness of power in Jesus. In our world today, typically we think of power as an evil. Typically we think of power as something that distorts reality, not helps us. But in Jesus Christ, we see God's power focused, put on display for us in a way we can see, touch, feel, and handle it. Like John says at the beginning of 1 John, I have touched the word of life. And we see his power to heal, to restore, to make new, to refresh, to make whole. We see the goodness of power. Hello, and welcome to the FBC Sermon Podcast. Today's sermon is entitled, Keep Your Soul from Idols, from guest speaker Scott Key, and was based on Jeremiah 31, 31-34. We hope you enjoyed today's sermon. It is good to be with you this morning. I want to thank, express my thanks to Pastor Greg for this opportunity, and extend greetings to all of you from the C.S. Lewis Study Center in Northfield. When uh, Pastor Greg asked me if I would be available for this Sunday, immediately I thought of this passage of Scripture and that phrase right there. That phrase is the last line of the book of 1 John, and I know Pastor Greg led us through a wonderful study of 1 John, but I have been puzzling over 1 John for a long, long time. Uh, When I was nine years old, uh, in the summer, in June of, of a hot summer, During vacation Bible school, I finally, um, under the prompting of of a wonderful message from our pastor and uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, finally said yes to following Jesus. And um, I, uh, I began my journey with him as Lord. And the first thing that I did was uh, getting in a fight with my neighbor friend. Um, I, it, it's not something I would recommend necessarily. I, and I wasn't a good fighter. It, it didn't work out too well for me. Um, but, but what hit me at that moment was that this was a, a friend who, who wanted sort of to control all the play in the neighborhood. And, and I had this teeny tiny notion that now that I had committed myself to Jesus as Lord, uh, this guy was no longer the, in charge of my life. And, and so the way I acted that out was to, to start a fight with him. Um, but the other thing that it did was prompt me to actually start reading the Bible, not because someone told me I had to, but because I wanted to. And I discovered somewhere around 9 or 10, 1 John. And it just really struck me. First of all, it was easy to read, except for that word propitiation, which I didn't understand. Um, But the rest of the book was pretty simple for me to read. And uh, that began a journey with the letter of 1 John. Much later... In seminary, I discovered that it's great Greek, it's wonderful Greek, it's simple Greek, but poetic Greek. In fact, I I discovered that some people have even rendered it as as a poem. It's quite wonderful. And then even later, I discovered that that, uh, 
there was a great depth to the simplicity of 1 John. But I kept being puzzled by that phrase. Go, go back one more. This, go back one more, please, to the, to the title phrase. Keep yourself from idols, which is the last phrase of, of, of 1 John. I kept wondering, why is that? Why did he end there? It's this poetic, beautiful book. Why there? Why that point? And so that's the journey that led me to choosing this passage and what I'm going to talk about today, because I've been pondering this for, for a long, long time. And over the last couple of weeks, I discovered a commentary in the Study Center Library that, that I had not seen before. I'd seen, but I'd never explored before. And, and um, that commentary opened up some things to me about First John that I'd never considered. And so now we can go to the next slide, because the way to get to this last part of First John is actually a passage in the middle of First John, and that is uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And um, that, that passage goes like this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he, God, appears... We shall be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. With that little background, let's pause and pray together. Our Father, in these moments... We pray that you'll focus our attention on your word to us. That in uh, these feeble words of mine, we will hear your word clearly. That we might know who we are and how we are to live in our world. This This is our prayer. In the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Remember when I was nine? The pastor had preached a simple sermon, next slide, on a passage you all have heard before. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It was a simple sermon. It's one I'd heard before, but on that day, it connected with me in a way that it had never connected before. Now, as I pondered that sermon, that that simple summation of the gospel in John chapter 3 and began kind of my long-term meditation on 1 John, some things came clearer to me as I went along. And one of these is that God has displayed his love to us in Christ. We see in the next slide, God displays his love profoundly to us. And, and two things came clear to me um, from 
a book I read of H. Richard Niebuhr's years ago. One is that we see the goodness of power in Jesus. In our world today, typically we think of power as an evil. Typically we think of power as something that distorts reality, not helps us. But in Jesus Christ, we see God's power focused, put on display for us in a way we can see, touch, feel, and handle it. Like John says at the beginning of 1 John, I have touched the word of life. And we see his power to heal, to restore, to make new, to refresh, to make whole. We see the goodness of power. But we also see the power of his goodness. And that's put on display in the cross. For he willingly goes to the cross for us to die and to be raised again by the power of God, to put on display God's incredible goodness, God's incredible grace to us. So when we go back to, to John chapter 3, verse 13, 16, to 316, for God so loved, we see the picture of his love and his goodness displayed so the power of the goodness of power and the power of goodness is put on display for us in Jesus Christ so John when he talks about being the children of God in chapter 3 of 1st John then he lays out in the subsequent sections what that means for us to be the children of God. Now, I'm not going to read all of that this morning, but I want us to see the look of that. So let's take it in the next steps in the PowerPoint. Uh, we, we embrace righteousness in the first section of that. John is telling us that we are God's righteous people, that we need to be righteous, that we need to be right-wised in our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. And we embrace obedience in the next section after that, because if we are to be righteous people, we need to be obedient to God's commandment. And that's the theme of the next section. So sometime when you have a chance to read First John again, read it in light of that passage in John chapter, First John chapter three, and what happens following is how we are to be the children of God. The third section after that is, beginning with chapter 4 of 1 John, to embrace the spirit of truth. And that spirit of truth is put on display for us in Jesus Christ. He is God's truth. Brought faith, we are brought face to face with his truth. In fact, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am the way. That is the truth and the life. The next section of 1 John invites us to embrace God's love and learn how to love one another as the people of God, as the children of God, to make love the hallmark of who we are as the people of God. The fifth section after that third chapter of 1 John invites us to embrace faithful living. Now, when I saw this outline in the last month, and I, I, I tried to outline this book several times, and I've seen a number of different efforts to outline First John. And it's very difficult to figure out how, how do you, what's the structure. This just clicked for me. 
Now, if you look at this for just a minute, if we embrace righteousness, we will be faithful in our living. We can't be faithful in our living unless we're right-wised with God, unless we understand that God's righteousness is put on display in Christ and that he calls us to faithful living. So the first section and the last section of this middle part of 1 John actually parallel each other. And if we do righteousness and faithful living, we will be obedient to God's command. And if we're obedient to God's commands, we will learn how to love one another. For that love is fulfilling all the commands of God. So loving one another fulfills his commands and living in obedience to his command will be a lifestyle of love. And at the center of these sections on how we are to live as God's children is that we embrace the spirit of truth. And Jesus is that spirit of truth. So the point of this is that this structure seems to make sense to me. Uh, uh, and, and a picture of what it means for us to be the children of God. And when I began to see this, I began to understand what this last section was all about. So let's go to that last section of 1 John. And the theme here is confidence. We can be confident about some things that are very central to what it means for us to be the children of God. And so John writes these words to us. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. We're we're his children, remember? He has called us to himself. And we believe in the name or the power and the goodness of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That word know is a special verb in John in 1 John and also in the Gospel of John. It's not um, casual knowledge. It's deep, intuitive, relational knowledge. It's the kind of thing we mean when we say, oh, my friend John, I know him, and he would never do that. Or, yes, he will keep your word, his word to you. He will show up. If he said he was going to show up, he will show up. It's a knowledge that is born of relationship. And so this is the governing verb of the last section of 1 John. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that we may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, God the Father, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him, that he will answer our prayer. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. Now, this is a little bit of a side here. And here John is referring to that thing that's found in the Gospels where we read about the unpardonable sin. 
Here John is referring back to that in, in Jesus' own teaching. And that is when we just, we walk away from God. When a person just says no and walks away completely and totally in such a way that um, you attribute the things of God to the things of yourself or to the things of Satan. That is a complete repudiation in every sense of the word. And if you're worried about whether you've committed that sin, you haven't, because you wouldn't be worried if you'd committed that sin. You follow? You're completely out of relationship with God, absolutely and totally. So if you're worried about that, you haven't. So don't be worried. It's just keep on going. And John is saying, you can pray for those folks, yes, but I'm not commanding you to pray for those folks. But the point is, everything else we can pray about, everything else we can bring to the Father, Everything else is something God will hear. That's the point of this. So all wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. And that's a sin that will be forgiven by God, you see? We know that we are from God, that we, that we have our being in God, that who we are has come because God has acted in our lives by his grace through Jesus Christ. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him, that is God the Father, who is true And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. So God the Father is true, and he sent Jesus the Son, who is the truth embodied for us. And by his grace, we are in Christ, the body of Christ, Paul would tell us. He is the true God and eternal life. And then that passage that has troubled me for a long, long time is in the imperative, little children, keep yourself from idols. So let's, let's slowly unpack this in just a couple of minutes and see what we can know, what we can know. The first thing John tells us we can know is we know, know you have eternal life. Know that you have eternal life. In John's theology, eternal life begins the moment, the moment we say yes to Jesus as Lord. It begins now. It's a quality of life, not just a duration of life. It will not be fulfilled in this lifetime here, but it begins here because we've been invited into the family of God. We are now his children. And we can know this. We can have confidence in this. That as we respond to Jesus Christ as the Lord of our life, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can know that we are God's children. And our eternal relationship with him begins now. Not just later, but now. With all the ups and downs of it, all the struggle of it, all the questions and doubts we may have, we can know that we are his children, that we have eternal life. The second thing he says we can know is that 
Our heaven, loving Heavenly Father hears us. He hears us. We can disclose to Him, we can share with Him our whole lives. We can cry out to Him in joy and in pain. We can, we can confess our doubts and our fears. We can express our anger. I had a friend years ago that tells, told me, God can handle your anger. He can handle anything. Express it all. He hears us. Isn't, isn't that a wonderful thing to think about? The God who created us, the God who shapes the cosmos, the God who sustains everything, can, does in fact hear us when we cry out to him. And we can know that's the case because we're his children. He hears us. The third thing that you see there is that Jesus, the Son of God, protects us by his grace. We can know that. Now, this is captured in the Lord's Prayer. This is captured in the Lord's Prayer. He will protect us from the evil one. Now, this doesn't mean we don't suffer. This doesn't mean we don't have heartache. This doesn't mean we don't have loss. It does mean, however, that God in his grace will surround us in those moments, that we will not be alone, that we will still be his children, that we will still be able to cry out to him, and that he will still be our Lord and our Savior. We will not be alone. That is a great promise, and we can know that protection in our lives. We can know that. The fourth thing he says in this last passage in 1 John is that we are from God. So this is the picture. God the Father has come to us in God the Son, and as we respond to the call of God the Son through the Holy Spirit, we become part of the children of God. We become part of the family of God. We become transformed from the inside out by God's grace and love at work in us. And we can know that that change, that ongoing journey with God is an indication that we are, our very being, our very life is from the Father. Not just because he's the creator of all things, but because now through the Holy Spirit and through his work in our lives, through Christ, through our study, through all the things we need to do as we learn how to become the people of God, his children, then he will confirm in our lives that we have our being in him. We are from him. The last thing that he says in this passage is that he has come through Jesus. The Son of God has come and has given us understanding that we may know that he is true. We're back to that central, that central issue for John, that Jesus is the embodiment of the truth of God. The very truth of God is made clear for us in Jesus Christ. So in 1 John chapter 3 that we looked at, he has called us to a life of purification. 
That's John's word for sanctification, that we are called to a life of becoming more and more and more like Jesus, more and more connected with God through Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. That that's the journey that we are on, that all the things that happen to us, all the things that God does in and through us, all the ways God's working in our lives is that we might grow in our understanding of him. That that's what God wants, to have an intimate, close, profound relationship with us. And it begins now. This is the journey of the Christian life. So how can we wrap this up really really quickly in terms of little children, keep yourself from idols? Well, an idol is anything that we substitute for this understanding of God, this confidence we have of God, this knowledge of God as loving Father who is good and powerful. Anything that we put in the place of that has become our idol. Anything that suggests that God is not the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and the giver of the Holy Spirit will become the idol for us. Anything we place in that place in our lives has become our idol. And John is saying, look, in Christ he has called us to a life as his children. And this life involves learning how to lay aside those things that keep us from him and draw ever closer to him in all that we do and all that we say. The picture of this is that picture of sanctification, the process of being more and more purified. We don't do it ourselves. God and his Holy Spirit works in our lives to draw us closer and closer to him. Actually, the longer we go with him, the more we become acutely aware of our own sinfulness. The longer we go with him, the more we realize how little we know about him. The longer we the longer we walk along this journey with him, the more we long to be even closer to him in all that we say and do. It's a lifelong process and it's never completed here. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But John is calling us in this first letter, this pastoral letter, begging us as his younger brothers and sisters to enter that journey on which he has been throughout his life as a follower of Christ. From the moment Jesus came to the edge of the Sea of Galilee and said, come, follow me. That's what he does to us. And he's he's urging us to stay with that journey and realize that this is the journey of growing intimacy with God. Now, you noticed as we went through this that the emphasis of the last verses of 1 John is about prayer. We talked about praying for one another, praying for even that person who has rejected God in every respect, praying because God hears us. He hears our cry in all kinds of situations, in all kinds of places, He's calling us to this intimate relationship with himself. So our life should be shaped and molded by prayer. And the prayer that God will honor every time, he will always hear this prayer and answer this prayer 
Because this is the prayer of his heart as well for us. When we pray for righteousness, he hears that prayer. When we pray pray that we would grow in obedience, he hears that prayer. When we pray that we would grow in truth, he hears that prayer. When we pray that we might become more loving to those around us and to those who don't know him, that seem to be alienated from him, that for those who are hurting the most and in the deepest need and are filled with the most pain and suffering in their lives. He calls us to love them. And when we pray that prayer, he hears and answers that prayer. And when we pray that we need faith, faith more than a mustard seed, faith just to take one more step, Faith to believe in his love and power in the midst of our struggle. When we pray that prayer, he hears and answers that prayer. I am convinced now that the heartbeat of John the Apostle's whole life was this life of deep, prayerful intimacy with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are urged to live that kind of life. Now, that kind of life is absolutely necessary if we're going to reach out and touch the lives of others. Sometimes we try to do that without having that deep life of prayer within. And when we do that, and I've done that, it, it, it's, pretty, it's pretty, pretty miserable. We're trying our best on our own power to bear witness, and it just doesn't seem to work. We try to care, and ah, it doesn't work very well. When we begin to build that deep intimacy with God the Father through Christ, it enables us to reach out to those around us with humility and with love, and God honors that. And so we are called to a life that is, that is centered in prayer. When I began to realize that Jesus was my Lord, the first thing I did was to start a fight with my friend down the street. The impulse was okay. He, he was not my Lord. Jesus was now my Lord. And, and I had that, a, a vague nine-year-old nine vague sense of what that meant. But I didn't know how to even begin to do that. Fighting with my friend down the street was not the way to build that sense of God's lordship in my life. But cultivating intimacy with God learning how to live when we pray for faith and for righteousness and for obedience and for truth. That is the way in which we can reach the friend down the street, the enemy at work, the family member that's walked away from faith, 
those who seem to be so different than we think we are, we begin to realize there's deep commonality and a deep prospect by God's grace that change can happen because it begins to happen in our lives first. There was a time when I was a pastor and I felt like one of my deacons, one of my elders, was trying to undercut everything I was doing as pastor. It was an ugly time in my life. I really thought that this this man and his family was trying to undo everything I was trying to do. And so I didn't know what to do. And I began to pray for him. And what happened was God changed me, not him. And I began to recognize that he had wonderful gifts and I began to recognize that he loved the Lord. I began to recognize he loved me. That's the process I'm talking about. As we make this the center of our lives, we can find real intimacy God with God and the possibility of becoming light and salt to the world around us. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you are interested in learning more about what we do here at FBC, please visit our website, fbcamherst.org. Also, consider subscribing to this podcast so you can get a notification when our weekly sermons are posted. Again, thank you for listening to this podcast. Have a great day.